Well, good morning, Family Church. Great-looking church and before me. Very blessed just to be able to present the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And this is, as Paul put it in verse 8, finally we're coming to a close in our Philippians series. So, um, but before then, we have a couple of things that we still need to to get in, and we end the series not with Paul, how he normally ends the letter with a harsh rebuke or a, a stern correction, or even saying you must remain in these things. But we end with Paul addressing to these Philippians his thankfulness to them, because they were the only church that came alongside of him and supported his ministry. And so he ends. It's a very personal letter to them, thanking them for their steadfastness, for their obedience, for their generosity in their financial giving to him. This is one of those sermons that, um, I don't know how I ended up with it instead of Terry, um, but it's how God worked out, and I know why, because this is something God's really been growing in me. But this is one of those messages where, because we're doing expository preaching, we're preaching through an entire book, that we can't just skip it. Um, But it would have been nice to be able to skip it because it talks about finances and nobody ever loves to hear finances in the church and neither do we like to preach on it. Um, But we're going to remain obedient to the word and whatever the word says when we get to that point, that's what's given that week. And so if you are just visiting with us this morning, this is uh, maybe it's your first time in church. Um, We are talking about finances. It's the first time in like nine months in the book of Philippians we're going to be hitting on that. Um, But this is for the body of Christ, why we give, why the church gives, and what the Philippians did to Paul's ministry. Almost knocked over some some things I'm going to use a little later. Um, Throughout history, we have remembered churches for a number of reasons. Um, We're going to look this morning in Revelations chapter 3. You don't need to turn there, but Revelations chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia. 
says this, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. This was a letter written to the church in Philadelphia, and they were going through extreme persecution. They were going through the most horrendous Christian persecution to where they would break into home churches going on and they would say, bow the knee to Caesar with swords pointed at their chest and they would say, no, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And they would be slain right there. There was people burned alive. There was people given to lions. And this was written to them and is encouraging this church saying, you have kept my word. You've not denied my name. What a way to be remembered as a church all throughout history. We see a couple of bad churches in Revelations chapter 2, the church of Ephesus. But I have this against you, and you can fill in the blank here. You have abandoned your first love. And this is how the church is always going to be remembered. The church in Ephesus, they abandoned their first love. The church of Pergamum in Revelation, they had allowed false teaching to enter into their church. And it says, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against you. God takes it very seriously when a church allows those things. And in 1 Corinthians, we read of a church that was very proud that they had allowed sin into the church and that they were saying, but God forgives. And yes, there's sin in the midst of our congregation, but we serve such a big God that he's just going to have so much grace that's going to pour over this. Even the outside world, the lost people in the world knew that it was wrong what was going on in 1 Corinthians. And Paul says five times, you can't act this way. And he sends the people out of the church. And he excommunicates them because of their sinfulness. And it was so big in the culture that they're saying, Christians don't act this way. They're not part of the body. And they sent them out. And it's a very harsh rebuke. And it's for that person and for that church. It's sad to say that in our time today, So-called churches in our area, in the Marco area and in the Naples area, have endorsed what is clearly biblical sin many times to remain and to sit, and they promote it in their local congregation. This isn't just in their membership, it's also in leadership positions. That's why sometimes denominations break apart because they allow freely some things the Bible says cannot go on. Recently, it broke my heart. Somebody from our church sat down with me and shared um, some things that they hear going on, some other churches' firsthand experience that they have. And they shared with me how church leaders, this isn't all of them, but it's just to be aware of the culture we're living in, that church leaders in our area, even Marco, teaching evolution, moderate Christianity, progressive Christianity. Those are code words for things. And even denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Teaching from the pulpit. Personal beliefs. I just recently, and I'm not proud of being able to say this, but I feel that I should. I just recently attended a a clergy meeting um, with the clergy here in in the local area. And I had different expectations going into this meeting. Um, We're teaching an evangelism class right now and just a burden. I have a burden for you as church members, for you to be equipped, to be able to stand fast on the gospel, the word of God, to rightly interpret it, to be equipped to fulfill what God has called us to do, but also for the lost. And I came into this meeting, how are we as churches going to do this? And um, 
in the meeting. I mean, the, the name of God was taken in vain five times. It was just a, a flippant. Trevor and I were there. We used scripture on some things, and it just seemed to go on deaf ears on the majority. There was a couple that, that rightly understood, and we talked about it afterwards. And I was just so brokenhearted about the lack of passion and commitment to the Word of God. And, and these are church leaders and Christians in today's time. And I think Jesus and Paul would be appalled at what we just allow to have happen and for those who claim the name of Christianity, yet are living so far from it. And this is not the direction my message is going to go today, um, but I feel like that I want to pray for our church. There's a lot of areas we need to work in, but it's our commitment to you that we are going to remain steadfast, biblically based. We're not going to waver. We're going to confront things when they need to be confronted. We're going to do church discipline as the Bible clearly says we should do. We're going to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about what it means to glorify him with our giving, what it means to glorify him with our sacrifice of our life, what it means to lift high the name of Christ, that God is holy and that he is just. Yes, he is loving, but he is also severe and wrathful. All of that is in scripture and we have to hold to every truth and so that is Terry and I's commitment that we are going to pursue that. And, and we as a church body, we need to continue to pursue these things in prayer. And so I want to begin this morning just praying for us as a church that we may continue to be obedient. We have areas to work in, so that's not a prideful. We need to be humble because we are broken. But it's Christ living in us and through us that we come against a world that has rejected the name of Christ. And I also want to pray for other churches in our area that God would get a hold of any, any false teaching or any false doing, even in the heart of pastors, that he would get a hold of them as well. So let's pray. God, we do praise you for your goodness. God, that you, you take your name very seriously. We should have no other gods before you. You are a jealous God. God, I take it not lightly to be able to present the word of God this morning. God, I pray that we may be a church that is faithful to you in everything that we do. God, we do pray for other churches in our area. God, that you may bless them. God, we pray that your name may be lifted up. God, we pray that sin may be confronted. And where it is confronted and hearts are humbled because of their sin, that the gospel, the true gospel may be presented because it is the only thing that brings about salvation. God, we thank you for your greatest sacrifice. God, we just want to be obedient to you. God, we know we are a broken people, but what a privilege to be able to be brought and bought into your family by your blood. God, I pray that you may speak through me. May I be obedient to the message that I feel that you desire me to share, regardless of how hard it may or may not be. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you most importantly for Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. 
And we've been in Philippians for many weeks, and today we are bringing our series to a close. And next week, as you heard, we're going to be starting the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to go home, we encourage you to read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or Matthew 5, and then space it out. But we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time. But as we've been studying uh, the book of Philippians, we see that Paul came and he began this church. And we're going to read in verse 14 to begin. Chapter 4. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received Epaphroditus, the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Even some of the songs this morning we sang talked about God's faithfulness, how he provides for us. And that's what today's message is going to be on. I love how he coordinates all of those things that we can sing about what we're about to learn because that was not our doing. Might have been Luke's doing. Um, no, it wasn't Luke's doing, so it's God's doing. So praise, praise him for that. So looking back, we see Paul enter into Philippi, and he's the only Christian. I want you to imagine this. We're, we're teaching an evangelism class right now for those in there, and they've been trying to share the gospel, going up to strangers and sharing the gospel, sharing their faith. We see that in the New Testament, that people went and shared the gospel. People came to a faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ, and then they came into the church body. And so that's what we're working on. We have 20 to 30 people who've been sharing their faith and learning how to do that. And this morning, they came back with some praise reports and conversations they've had. And this week, we're doing it again. And I want you to imagine driving across the Marco Bridge, knowing every person on this island is lost without the gospel, and you are the only one that has the gospel. That's what Paul felt. He went into Philippi, and there was um, Judaism there and Old Testament beliefs, but nobody had the gospel. And that weight, that joy, that privilege, that responsibility, Paul came and he began preaching and teaching to people, and we see a couple of people come to faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ. We see Lydia, the Philippian jailer. Then we see the, the young slave girl that was, had some possessions going on, and they began to build the body of Christ. And so sometime after that, after Paul has taught and built up this church, he leaves and he goes to Thessalonica. And it was near Philippi. And this church began having conversations back and forth with Paul and they kept in contact with him. It came back that Paul was in financial need. He was doing the ministry. It came back, the church that he had built, they got word Paul was in financial need. And I want us to look in verse 16. It says this, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. So this church took an offering just like we took an offering and they sent it to Paul. And then again, he was in financial need again. News came again to the Philippian church that Paul was again in need. And when they heard this, did the Philippians say, God only helps those who help themselves? No, they did not. Did they say, you need to increase profit, decrease expenses? No, 
They didn't say that. They didn't say, Paul, I know you can make tents and things. You need to raise production. No. They knew there was a trade-off. That if he focused on his job, he couldn't focus on the gospel. And so again, they raised money. They raised funds and they sent it to him. And we see that at the rest of verse 16. They raised and they gave him help for my needs once and again. Or another translation says, again and again. I want us to look at verse 14 says this, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. This brings us to our first point this morning. We as a church, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we have been given some things by God. And we should give to share in the trouble of others. We give to share in the trouble of others. This reveals that our heart is about what God's heart is about. It's not about our stuff because we're willing to give. We're willing to share in trouble. Many of you may or may not know, but your offering that comes in, it's not just for this ministry, but it also many times goes back to church members. When we get more and more involved in members' lives that we're doing, and we come across a family or somebody in need financially, we as a church, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, anonymously many times will just send money to we to an area we know where somebody needs help. And that is not publicized for all of you, but we just want you to know in your giving, you are just like the Philippians did. We are helping those who are struggling or at different times. And we've all been there. We've all been in different times of need. This wasn't in my message, but I feel led to share it. When Amanda and I were first married, my car broke down. Transmission failure, very expensive. We didn't have money. I was working at a ministry. I was interning at a church for free. She was going to nursing school. And then a week after, her car broke down. So now both of our cars, both transmission issues, because that's a lot of money to fix a transmission. There was a gentleman at church, a single guy. He he wasn't rich. Um, He had, he he was retired, so he had some money, I guess. Um, But he had a BMW, an older one. And then he had a a newer car, but he had this other one. And and he just threw us the keys and said, you guys take it. And we're like, we can't take this car. We can't do that. And he said, it's just a piece of metal, is what he told us. It's just a piece of metal. And he was not a millionaire. um, But he just tossed us the keys. And not only that, he drove us to the gas station and filled filled up the car. And every time we saw him, he would fill up our car with gas when when when, when he let us borrow this. And he was always doing these things for people. And Amanda and I said, we want to be like that. We want to share in the troubles of others. And we realized we don't have to be that old or or that much money or whatever. We can start doing that now. And so some things that we started to do is, you know what? Maybe we don't have a car to give, but maybe when we're out to dinner and, and we see a young family and they have a lot of kids. We know they probably need some help financially. So some things that we've done before is we have a gospel track that you can put money in. And we actually, I just put them for sale on the well. You can buy 10 of them for a dollar if you want to start doing this. But you can put a five in there. And you can go and you can give it to this family and you say, I hope this blesses you. I hope this pays for some of the tip. And then you leave. And it's not about the amount, but it's that you are helping people. One way you do this is by giving to the church because the church is God's hub for help in this world. 
Because when you give into the church and the church gives to others, as we see in Acts, that God is the one who's glorified. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. I want us to look at verse 15 as we're moving through this. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, listen to this line, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Giving and receiving there, that word, it denotes a change of money between hands. That they were not just providing needs by giving food, they were actually supplying some of their finances and it was for the purpose of the gospel. This leads us to point number two, that we can, as a church, we should give, as Christians, we give for the partnership of the gospel. Nothing else is going to matter a hundred years from now except what we've done for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give for the partnership of the gospel. I was reading Philippians, and it dawned on me, we don't have a letter from, from Paul to every single one of the churches he started. But we have this letter to the Philippians. It's because they were the only church that gave to him. And I, I want us to understand that these believers understood if Paul was focusing on his job and he was focusing on making tents to sell and advertising or whatever you did in that time, he couldn't be focused on planting churches and sharing the gospel. And the church understood that. And we want to thank you because as a church, you are the ones that support the ministry here. You're the ones that support Pastor Terry and I and all of our staff that we can focus not on having to go get a full-time job and then do ministry on the side, but we can actually do ministry as the calling of our life, the full devotion of our life, that the gospel is our priority. And we want to thank you for that because not many opportunities and places you're able to do this. And so you are receiving a blessing every time somebody comes to Christ and you give in a church. You are receiving blessings because of these things. Every time we are teaching and preaching here or Wednesday nights or people are getting baptized or marriages are being saved. I don't know if you realize the impact that goes on week after week in the meetings that we're having throughout the whole week. That is only happening just as it was happening in the Philippian church because of your generous support. And for that, we greatly Thank you. Paul, the greatest missionary that ever lived, only one church entered into support with him. And this is this letter written back. And that's why there's so much love in this letter. This church, I'm sure, never knew the impact that every single one of their dollars they gave. I'm sure they weren't rich. This town wasn't necessarily a rich town that they were in. There were probably many people that struggled to give. But I believe that even today, because of their giving in the first century, they are still reaping riches in heaven because of their giving. I mean, the whole New Testament, or most of the New Testament wrote by Paul, he wasn't able to do that if he had a full-time job. But they gave, and he was able to do this. So we are even reaping in our message this morning from some of their giving. And all the people that have led others to Christ, led others to Christ, led others to Christ, and the churches that were started all through history, millions and millions and millions of Christians have been impacted by their giving. We never know how our church or how you, we have a church member that's in our evangelism class that flew up north to New Hampshire this week, and he's in the evangelism class, and he has tracks, and he was handing them out on the airplane. 
And he was meeting with people. We never know how that is going to spread across the world. We just don't know how our faithfulness God is going to use. But one day we will. One day we'll be able to stand before God and hopefully hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll be able to see the blessing that God has allowed us to enter in and the lives changed by the times we were faithful in our speech, by the times we were faithful in our volunteering, and the times we were faithful in our giving. I want us to look at Philippians. So first is that Paul gave, and it was during, or the church gave for times of trouble, but secondly, for the partnership of the gospel. Apparently, along the way, Paul did a lot of traveling. If you ever have looked in the back of one of your Bibles and you have those maps of Paul's travels, you can see like he went over to Asia and then this, and then he was stopped by the Holy Spirit and did a circle, and they lost track of Paul. It's pretty easy to understand how that could happen. They didn't have cell phones or email or texting, so they lost track of Paul for many, many years. But that was all about to change. And as we know, because we've been studying it, Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea. And after two years, he was sent to Rome in chains. So all of a sudden, his traveling was going to end, and he was going to be held in jail for quite some time. And the Philippian church was finally able to, to catch up with him. And so during his time, he was in need. And Terry preached on this last week. He was in need, but he was content in all circumstances. Even though he was cold because of, he was in a cold, damp cell, he was content because God is the one who supplies his needs. Even though he didn't have the best food and his friends abandoned him, he was content in every circumstance. And after 10 years, it had been 10 years since Paul established the church in Philippi, the church finally got word that Paul was in prison. And after 10 years, do you know what they did? They again took an offering up for Paul. They again took an offering up for Paul. And we see this in verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, look in verse 17. It says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I love this because Paul has pure motives. We don't see pure motives many times today, even in the church pure motives. You have people who come and they claim Jesus Christ. They don't do like Peter said, where he says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you, Jesus Christ. No, many times there's a lot of pastors that will take the gold, take the silver, and then try to give Jesus Christ. But we're not called to do that. And Paul, he had such pure motives. It was as if Paul was saying to this church, listen, I don't want your money. God is going to supply my needs. Even though Paul was really in need. He really did need the money. But he's saying, God's the one that's going to supply my needs. I don't want your money. And then he goes on and he says, I'm excited most about the fruit that's going to increase because of what you've done. What type of fruit is that? Well, I had an example. And I was thinking about Chuck E. Cheese. How many of you have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese or an arcade? Okay, there's a, a lot up here. Nobody in the back, no Chuck E. Cheese, no arcades, nothing like that. Okay, there we go. Um, you go to Chuck E. Cheese and, or an arcade or whatever you like to do, um, and you see all these fun things to do. But the problem is that you don't have any money, right? You, you feel in your pockets, you don't have anything. And then what do you do? Your kid, you go to your parents. Pastor Terry, 
Do you have any money that I can borrow? There's lots of stuff I need to do here. I don't have anything for your son. No, he doesn't have anything for me. He's being a cheap dad. I knew that. So for my illustration this morning, I brought my own stuff. Um, And Paul is saying, you have all these things you've been blessed with. And God has given them to you. We know from scripture, every good and perfect gift comes from God above. God has blessed us. If he is our father, he's the one that's provided us for these things. And he's given us these things. And, and we, have, we can do many times whatever we want with them. And we're sitting in this arcade or Chuck E. Cheese. All these games. We have pizza that we can go. We can go jump in this ball house and get lost in that. We have some friends that don't have any money. And we have an opportunity to give. And, and our, our dad gave us $10 And Paul says he's not most excited that they're giving, but he's most excited about the credit, the credit. I don't know how many have ever put money in a machine and it ate your money, right? (laughs) You're really thirsty and you put the money in and then the drink gets stalled. You can go to the manager, right? And you can tell them. Or you put money in a machine and it eats your money. Well, if you've ever done that arcade, you go to the manager and say, hey, this machine ate my money. They can go with a key or a click of a button and you can be looking on the screen where it says zero plays, zero credits, and all of a sudden they do their little magic work and then it says four credits, five credits, right? And God is saying, and what Paul is saying is that as the Philippian church gave to Paul, it increased to their credit. They gave money and there is credit going on somewhere that God is the one that's going to bless them for it. And Paul was most excited, not about the gift. Paul could have easily said, oh, I really need this money. Thank you so much. Instead, Paul says, I'm most excited. I don't want the money. I'm most excited that you are growing in your faith, that you are giving, and that you, you church, you Philippians, you're going to receive credit. And then we see another perfect response where the church responds and gives the money anyways. And they say, no, we want to be a blessing to you. We want to give to you. And with pure motives, they give to Paul anyways. Our natural reaction is opposite. Many of the things we have seen characterized by these Philippian believers, especially when it has to deal with our money and our stuff, right? Naturally speaking, I know because I'm like some of you, I often struggle when times get tough. I just learned that the average newborn goes through 3,000 diapers the first year. (laughs) And we have one coming up, and I I know they already have a couple. 3,000, that's the low end. So I can easily focus on the price of diapers, the price of gas, the price of rent, and so can you. And when we focus on those things, I'm focused on the materialistic and not focused on the God that does provide for my needs that does love me, and that he is going to work things out. And if I focus on those things, I lose sight of the whole thing. Listen, some of you may have the gift of giving, where it's easy, and you do it joyfully. My wife has the gift of giving. She loves giving every Christmas. My family was like, we'll draw straws out of a hat, and you can, you give this present to this person, you give this. And her family was like, let's get presents for everybody, and give multiple presents. So my family, one present each person, and her family, multiple presents, it's always a little bit different. My family loves, loves that. Um, but for me, I have the gift of keeping. 
And it's not really a gift. It's actually a sinful desire of my flesh that I have to fight against and make sure that I'm intentional about always glorifying and honoring God. Um, And it seems that every church that I've ever gone to, they always seem to have the exact same tithing envelopes. And and I need to borrow a tithing envelope. Can somebody in, in the seat back in front of you here, a tithing envelope? They all seem to say the same thing. And it's like the the main verse for tithing, apparently, for giving. God loves a cheerful giver. And I've even heard messages preached where that word cheerful means hilarious. Have you ever heard that? God loves a hilarious giver. That when you give, you're always really hilariously, cheerfully giving. I have never been that way. (laughs) I've never been that way. And I'm thinking, okay, God loves a cheerful giver. I don't love to cheerfully give. So what does God think of me? You know, it's always been the, and then in my younger faith, I remember, well, if God wants me to cheerfully give and I'm not going to cheerfully give, maybe he doesn't want me to give at all because it's not cheerfully. That's not a blessing to him and he doesn't need my money. And if I'm not doing it cheerfully, I might as well not do it. And we need to, we need to be asking, how can we be like the Philippian church? That even though Paul said, oh, I don't, need, I don't need your money, I would have been like, oh, okay, you know, that's easy how we could have been, but they gave anyways. How do we be like that? How do we change our heart to want to give to these things? Because naturally for me and maybe for some of you, it's difficult. And I can tell you, since day one of our marriage, Amanda and I have decided, not because we feel like it or we feel cheerful or we feel hilarious, that we are going to honor God with our finances. Just this Wednesday night, we were teaching the students, and and it worked out again to where God's working this out. We were teaching on tithing to our teenagers and to our middle school students. And um, I I want you to imagine, you know, you're the dad at Chuck E. Cheese. Go back to our illustration. You're the dad at Chuck E. Cheese, and you've, you've already paid for everybody to come in. You've bought the pizzas. You bought the drinks. They were all a little bit more expensive. You gave that $10 to your kid. And by the end of it, you're, you're, you're broke, right? Um, and then you look over in the corner and you see this old arcade game, analog controllers that you used to love to play. Maybe it's a pinball machine. And you're like, man, I remember playing that as a kid. I want to play it one more time. But you don't have any money anymore because you gave it out. I want you to imagine you going to your kid with that $10 and you say, hey, hey, buddy, can I have a dollar of that 10 I gave you? There's a game over there I haven't played in years and I bought the pizza and the drinks and all these other things to provide for you guys and I just don't. What, how would you feel if your, if your son or your daughter looked at you and said, No. And God was using these illustrations for me, and that's why we've decided, because that's what we, in essence, do to God, is God has provided everything. He's provided us the ability to live here, the ability to work. He's provided us with jobs, and I know we work for these things as well, but ultimately, he could snap his fingers, and we have none of it. And, and he asked for very little back. And um, that's why we have decided in our marriage that we're going to honor God with our finances. Because he's the one who ultimately every good and perfect gift comes from. And it's the exact same illustration. I want us to look at verse 18. It says this. This is Paul saying, I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This leads us to our next point. Paul is well supplied because they gave, and we give as it pleases God. We give as it pleases God. Now, if I went and gave somebody 10 candy bars and then I asked for one back, it doesn't necessarily mean that I should receive pleasure from that, but God does. Even though he gave us these things and we can give back to him, that should be an incredible thought that we can give to the work of God. And as we give what he's already given to us, we receive a blessing for the thing he gave us that we could give back to him in the first place. And as I was thinking, I'm like, God, why do you even decide to bless us? It was all yours to begin with. And I know that I need to work on this in my life because many times I work for things. And there's something I really want and I work for it. And then I don't share it because I feel like it's mine. And I know we should have all been taught from a very early age to share, right? We have a little one coming. It's going to be a little boy. No, we don't have any names yet. But in March, we're going to have a new blessing come into our life. And when we go to Connect Group, the Connect Group that we have, there's going to be at that time six other children there, all younger in age. And I want you to imagine me as a father, I want to get my baby boy a toy. He's been wanting this toy. So me as a dad, I get him the coolest toy. We go to group and then all the other six kids really want to play with his toy because I was the coolest dad and got my kid the coolest toy. Sorry for those who are in our group. He has the coolest toy and all your kids want to play with that. And, and all of a sudden, he, like most kids, doesn't want to share, share his toy. Now, I got him this toy with a couple of things. I wanted to enjoy it, but to share it. Does, any, does anyone have a reason why they think my child is not going to want to share his toy. What, what is it? Mine? Okay. Mine? Why doesn't he want to do it though? Okay. Human nature. Are you calling my kid a sinner? It's okay. He is going to be a sinner. I'm just telling you guys he's going to be a sinner. Um, but I've referenced it about 10 times in this little illustration. Why is my kid not going to want to share his toy? Because I don't share. <laughs> that very well might be. The reason why he's not going to share, this is trouble opening this up to the congregation. <laughs> Terry's like, I'm never going to do that. The reason why he doesn't want to share his toy, and I've referenced it subtly, is because he thinks it's his. And I've said it multiple times, even this, the story, get him a toy, his toy. Why doesn't he want to share his toy? The problem is, and the reason why I have an issue sharing, and you may have an issue sharing, and my kid will probably have an issue sharing, is because we actually forget that we don't own it. And my child, by me saying, this is your toy, it's natural if I tell him it's his, for him to think it's mine and I own control over it. And then I go with a group of other kids and I tell them, you need to share Wait a second, this is conflicting. You say it's mine, and I have all ownership of it, and it's mine. You gave it to me, and then you're telling me I have to share and, and, and give it to others that want it. Do you see the, the conflict here? What we should be teaching is we are stewards of it all, 
God has allowed us to have it, and it's not ours. That's what I hope to teach my child. This is not your toy. This is, this is God's blessing into your life. And if you decide you're going to cling on to it and say it's mine, then you're not going to, God's not going to bless that. And that's the same thing in my life. Although it seems as we become adults, we grow out of that. You need to share because we work for some things. That kid didn't work for that toy. I just gave it to him, right? I worked for it. But then we have some bigger toys that we like and we work for these things and we get these things and then we forget that principle. But the same thing applies. These things don't belong to us. And if we really understand that God is our Father and He's supplied us with everything, all spiritual blessings, He's supplied us with all the physical gifts, we really need to be in a different attitude and understanding. And I know that's going to fight against our flesh. Listen, it fights against my flesh. And that's one reason why God commands us to give. Because it breaks the bond and it breaks the sin in our life of our stuff, our materialistic things. In verse 19, it says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. God's riches are more than any of our riches combined in the whole world. He created this with the world and he's, he's going to destroy it with a word. And it was created by his word. This is nothing to him. And it says his riches are going to supply our needs. That should comfort us. That should, that should so overwhelm us that God says that through my giving, he's going to supply all of my needs. And I know the next question is, well, what about my wants, right? I know my needs. What about my wants? God says when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. As you grow closer in your relationship with Christ, he's the one that gives you desires of your heart. You need to understand the desires of your heart will probably change as you grow closer to him. But if I'm getting the desires of my heart, I don't care what they are. As long as, as long as these things are happening, but it's not about me. It's about me honoring him, whatever he wants to do. So God is the one that supplies all of our needs. And this leads us to our next point. As we give God is going to supply our needs. John Stott says this, One Christian has enough because another Christian is generous. One Christian has enough because another Christian is generous. God could have easily made all Christians equal in regards to all needs are fulfilled. But by making one wanting and one having plenty, when there is an exchange of money that goes on in and through the church, this person is blessed, this person is blessed, the church is blessed. Otherwise, there would not be, there would not have been glory given. And God has put this together so that we can all work these things out and ultimately give him glory. I have an illustration that came into my life two nights ago. My wife, she may die because I'm telling you this story. Um, she makes this incredible dinner that we love and it's just called um, like white chicken enchiladas. And she normally makes six of them at a time, but this, we never eat that many. So she broke down the recipe to three. She normally adds um, like the sweet green peppers, half a can, and then there's chicken and there's uh, like a white sauce. There's some corn and beans and, and all these things in it. And it's incredible. We wrap them up in an enchilada, put cheese on top and bake it. Comes out. It's so good. She broke it down to three. And instead of adding half a can of the, the sweet green pepper, she added the whole can. And she made it the same way that she normally makes it, except this time she added 
like a, a pepper jack cheese with some jalapenos in it, like slight jalapenos, just to give it a little bit of a, of a taste. And we sat down, and we were so excited, we started eating it. And the first bite, <sighs> we looked at each other, and we were like, what is that? It was so hot. And you know, I learned early, I'm just going to keep eating, you know. Um, <laughs> Just keep eating. I think there's only been like one meal that I didn't just keep eating. But, you know, keep eating. And, and I remember like we were talking about it. And we, we figured out that, that that cheese, those little peppers, when they're heated up in the oven, that the oils in there go all over everything. And we concluded that really made it really hot. And, and we ate and I ate under that conclusion. I ate the whole thing. She almost ate the whole thing, and I'm like, I can't eat another one. Um, normally, I can, but I couldn't this time. And then it dawned on me, and I looked over in the garbage, and that little sweet green pepper can was actually diced jalapenos. <laughs> so we put a whole can of diced jalapenos on these three that normally only put a half can of the sweet peppers. And the, the, the point is this, that we lived under that assumption that it was the cheese. And and we were satisfied with that. We were satisfied thinking that these things were blazing hot from some pepper jack cheese that had tiny little peppers in there. And we were fooling ourselves. We were deceiving ourselves. There is no way the cheese can be that hot. But we concluded in our mind and ate the rest of it. And, And I just woke up this morning and I'm like, Man, that illustration is many times how we are as Christians with our giving. Because we think we are very obedient and loving to God, but when we look at how that actually plays out, we have rationalized some things. Like, I can't afford to because, or I can't volunteer because, or I can't read God's word because I don't have enough time. And we've rationalized it, but from the outside, I can clearly see, or you can clearly see in my life, Wait a second, the reason you can't read, you know, the, the Word of God is because you're reading all these other books. Or the reason you can't give is because you're doing the things you want to give with that money. Or the reason you can't volunteer is because you're volunteering, doing a bunch of other things with your time. And we've rationalized those things. And I want us just to take the time and think through, are we living out what we claim we are living out? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, James says... Be doers of the word, not hearers only, because who is deceived? We are. We deceive ourselves. And that was an illustration that God gave me of, Casey, how how much are you really implementing even this financial thing into your life? Do you really believe and understand God owns it all? And that's something I know that I need to struggle with is too. Do I really believe the thing I worked for is his? And so this week we can be in prayer just about those things. We need to share in the troubles of other as a church. We need to give for the partnership of the gospel. The only thing that's going to matter 100 years from now is our giving, and it's for the purpose of the gospel. We can give to thousands of different things, but unless it has an impact with the gospel, it's not going to last. We give as it pleases God, and as we give, God is going to supply our needs from his riches. We're going to be ending with communion, this morning and what a fitting what a fitting way to end that God is the one that's given these things but we see most importantly that Jesus Christ gave 
his everything for us. God sent his son when he didn't have to, to die for people who didn't deserve it so that we can live for him and we don't deserve that either. And I want you to just be thinking, if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, be praising him for the things he's provided in our life, but be praising him most importantly that he has provided for us eternity. Listen, we're trusting in him, and this is what I felt God even speaking to me while I worship. I'm trusting him with eternity, my eternity. I have complete faith in putting it there, and I know many times I struggle with my giving, my money, or my time, or my volunteering. I trust him with forever, but many times I lose faith on the small things here. And so as Chuck, one of our church members, is going to come forward and he's going to share communion, let's be reflective in our hearts and praise God for his thankfulness and his faithfulness. with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you find you have any bitterness or divisiveness for a brother or sister, if you're struggling with an area of your life that you know you haven't released to him, or if simply you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, we ask that you consider letting the tray pass until you can go to that person until you can open the door of your life and receive his gift of eternal life. Thank you. Gentlemen, if you could go ahead. As the deacons distribute the elements, take these moments and reflect on those areas where you're struggling or stumbling. Pray and confess those places where you are holding on to the lordship of your life. Turn the eyes of your heart to him. And he is faithful to forgive. Reflect and meditate on uh, Pastor Casey's lesson today. Our lives were given to us. He has given us our life. And he does ask that we give that life back to him. Let God's word dwell in you richly as you prepare to take these elements together. Let's go to the Lord. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand together and... Father, as we depart this time of worship and communion, we go with thanksgiving for your mighty work in our church through your son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's join in worship together and uh, Luke will close us.
Lord, we've heard your word on the subject of giving. And Lord, we thank you for showing us the ultimate example of giving through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If any of you have a prayer need in your life, you'd like to meet with Pastor Casey. He'll be up front. Pastor Terry will be in the back. So if you have a need, just come and find them. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you. God's grace and peace be with you as you go. You're dismissed.